for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. And of course, you're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. Lawson, what are you thankful for? Uh, I am thankful to be here on the show. That's amazing. Guess what I'm thankful for? What are you, what are you thankful date for? Date night! Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been, I know, I've been thankful for date night before. We've done date night two nights in a row this last week. Which was kind of, um, cool. Which was kind of, uh, unusual because it feels like forever, like months since we've done date night. Yeah. And then what? twice in a row. So. Wow, I'm really happy for you, Lyle. Yeah, uh, I'm glad yeah, you're happy for me. That's really awesome um, that you could spend that time with your wife. And yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and Lawson's just, just sad. <laughs> <laughs> just sad. <laughs> a crying in the court. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, actually, no, I'm grateful to be here on the you show. Would've, you would have had date night last night anyway, just date with a group of people rather than just with an individual. Uh, actually, no, I went home and spent time by myself. Oh, I was like, that's you know, very, self care, that's, that's just like self, extra sad, self love. You know, it was. Uh, I, I was feeling really tired, and I was put his head in a pillow and cried. No, I, well, I didn't. Do, well, I might have not done that, but <laughs> I'm really grateful to be on this show this morning because on the way here, you know, I've got my oil light flashing and all those different things, and then I pulled into the servo and got some oil and topped it up, and hey, look at that, my oil light went away. It's amazing how that happens. It's oh, just incredible. I did the Science behind it just does my head in. I was, I was, I was feeling incredibly smart when I did it. I actually, like, I was like, wow, I could be a mechanic. Like, what do you, what do people go to training or TAFE for? Like, I could just do Stop this. Stop at the servo, do your thing, move on. Yeah. Problem solved. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Quiz time has arrived. Lawson. It has. It has. And I've got a person. We're going to talk about no. who? Who am I? The first clue. I am the, am the grandfather of Noah. Okay, if you know who the grandfather of Noah is, then you can go in the draw for the prize, which will be drawn today. Today, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text. Make sure you say "May I enter the draw?" And let's see, you'll be able to make if you oh because. The draw is four, sorry. The Revive Cafe Vegan Cookbooks, Volumes 5 and 6. And if you want to make Mexican bean enchiladas and, let's see, um, cranberry and pistachio florentine. I think I already talked about that one. Let's see, apple and cashew crumble. If you want to make those two things, give us a call. 0491-064-669. Who is Noah's grandfather? Okay, if you know those answers, then give us a call right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's talk about some positively different news. Oh, I've got some news this morning. Well, I don't know if it's positive. It's uh, the cows. They're done right. for. Okay. The apps finally got them. The which? The apps. The apps. Yeah, the apps. Got the cows. The apps got the cows. You know how right. we're always talking about, like, you know, how how phones and all these things are just like ruining our lives and apps are controlling us. The apps got the cows, La. So now they're being controlled by apps. Yeah, they are. So wandering around the paddock with their smartphone out, just like addicted like everybody else. Not quite. But uh, basically, this is actually this is actually really cool. This is actually a really, really, really cool story. Uh, we're currently doing testing in the southwest of Scotland. Um, 
on cows that have a basically a collar around their neck that is connected to an app that you know the owner of those cows uses that creates virtual fences and has the ability to direct and steer the cows just by communicating to them through the app. Okay. I saw some cows uh-huh. the other day wearing weird necklaces. Uh-huh. Is this is what I is this what I'm seeing? This is this is these are weird necklaces. Let me see a picture of that. Uh okay, let me let me find I, it. I I, I got to know whether I this is what I cuz I looked at them and I'm like what is that? I mean, I've seen seen ear tags before, but I've never seen these. It's like this. Uh, no, that's not what I saw. That's not what she saw. No. But basically, so these cows have a necklace, and connected to the necklace is like a speaker mm-hmm. and a... Oh, so it talks to them. It talks to them, yeah. In cow language, like... So- Moves. That that was really funny, like because uh, it says basically as they get towards the the edge or the border of the area, it'll start emitting sound. You know, it'll start like making sounds that will lead them away from the edge of the border. And I'm like, how do they like? Do they say, "Hey, cow, move out of the way"? Like, how do they mew it? Do they mew at them? Like, what's the deal? Um, no, but apparently it's just a sound that gets like louder and more frequent the closer you get to the border, and the sound the the this cows is annoying. It's just annoying. And the cows have very quickly learnt, like, okay, I'll... I don't want to be annoyed, stay away from there. That's right. That's right, because cows don't want to be annoyed. They just want to do their thing. Cows are super peaceful. They're the chillest animals ever. That's right. Um, But also, if they go too far, the collar also has a... Gives out, like, a pulse or a shock that's equivalent to an electric fence. Electric fence, yep. And then the cow will just go, oh, whoops, and turn around. And what if they just make a run for it? Then they'll just keep getting shocked, and also like the 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 person with the app will be notified, and they'll be able to go out and catch their cow. Okay, so how many how many uh, how do you actually set up a virtual paddock? Do you, so, like just what like like one fence post in each corner. So within um basically within the app itself is GPS, so you don't need to do yes. anything. Yes. So basically, you just create an area. And then... Oh, you don't even set up, like, four corners? Nope. You just create an area, and these collars have GPSs in them, and they know where to go. And so what this means is... Okay, but once the cows have learnt a particular area, uh-huh. right, and you want to then herd them to another area, say they run out of grass in that area, they're not going to want to go that direction because, like, no, I don't want to go over there. No, but imagine if it's like, oh, no, I don't want to go over there because it's annoying, but then you turn on the annoying sound where they are right now then they'll move. Right. Yeah. So basically, this gives you the ability. So can you create like a road and they just walk down the road? I you can literally make any shape or any size or any location. Just with your finger. Like you're like, okay, I need to do a bunch of farm work in this area. I don't want the cows getting in the way. Okay. You know, I'll set the app to lead them somewhere else. And then I'll set up. And How long do the batteries last for? Are these things, uh, are they uh, like... You know, solar powered, or do you got to change the batteries once a week? Um, I because it would be a hassle to change the batteries once a week. Let's face it, we're dealing with cows, and you know, I don't mm. see cows all lining up like, "Yes, please give me my fresh update on Mark of the Beast." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fresh Mark of the Beast. Yeah, my my beast. fresh cows. App- Well, from what I'm seeing right now, uh, this is still in trial phase. It seems as though they're using batteries. I don't know how often they're having to change them. Can I get one for my dog? Uh, Yeah. 
Totally. But will the dog even listen? No. No, it just it just keep yes. it just keep getting shocked and keep running. Just too It's too fast. Too, too independent. It's too fast for the for the colour. Not a plotter. Yeah, that's <laughs> cows tend to be plotters. That's right. For the most part. They just they just hang out and stand. Yeah, they just chill. And if they start to hear a noise or they're feel the best shock, creatures ever. Somewhere else. Cows. I love how curious cows are. Go and go and find a paddock full of cows one time, go lay down in the paddock. Yeah. They will all come over. Yeah, well, they'd be like looking at you, like, "What the hell is going on here?" Will they step on you? No. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't want to get. They stuck. will step on you if you are trying to, you know, milk them. Sometimes that kind of thing, like the old-fashioned way of milking. Sometimes you yeah. get stepped on. Yeah, yeah, but pretty heavy. But if you're just like laying down in the paddock, they're just like, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. they want to know. They want to know what's they, going on. They just want to walk over and see what's up. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, I have another. Oh, I have another story here that's about roads. Well, okay, and how cool roads can be, and how much we can do to basically fix them. Because roads, like being made out of like bitumen, um, really like they're ultimately like roads, are, like the greatest, one of the greatest inventions of all time. Yes, uh, because they lead us places and whatnot. But they're also a massive hassle, and they cost lots of money. Now yes. we believe, and we know that you know the amount of. Uh, service that we get from a particular road is worth more than it costs to build that road. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it, the, the ultimate question would be, okay, if roads are necessary, <coughs> it costs millions of dollars to make them and maintain them, is there, is there a way that we can make that cheaper and better? And that's a question that uh, a bunch of scientists, actually a bunch of researchers from um, RMIT University here in Australia have asked and answered. They were like, okay, how can, you know what are what are the adverse conditions that road face roads face well firstly driving on them that's like a pretty adverse condition um but secondarily the sun um and unlike so many things like you know playground equipment and buildings and all kinds of things that have uv protection built in roads don't have any measures like that basically like bitumen all that stuff it's just like there's no thought for UV protection in there, um, even though, like, the sun it causes some of the most damage to the roads um, because as it is hot and it's baking and whatnot, that's what causes cracks. Uh, well, in Tasmania where they have a different kind of bitumen, you get a 40-plus degree day. When I remember when I was a kid and the roads, roads would be running down the gutter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's what they call – I think they call that a cold mix. So yeah. there's, like, two different types of bitumen. Yeah, in, in a cold mix, then they're just, like, yeah. It's hot and they run. Now, uh, these RMIT uh, researchers and professors, they came up with a method where basically they recycle old rubber into the roads and they have like different mixtures and the old rubber actually provides UV protection and they've done extensive testing on this in UV machines and they've seen that the, like, you know, a sample of just regular bitumen road versus uh, bitumen road with these different levels of rubber in them um, last up to 50% longer than just regular road. So you're getting, like, double the usage out of it, uh, essentially, uh, from... From, yeah, from the roads, just because they're, like, recycling scrap tyres, putting it in the roads. And, yeah, now we have road sunscreen, basically, and that is great news because maybe um, this will enable uh, the people at my local university to use that for their roads and car parks so that it's not full of potholes like it currently is. Yes, everything is full of potholes right now with all this rain that's been going on. That's right. It's just like we live in a in a, in a world of potholes. And, you know, it's a great way of using all those old tyres. I mean, how many billions and billions of old tyres get just 
turned into landfill. That's right. Year. It's awesome that this is happening as a partnership between uh, the um, Tire Recycling Association of Australia. And so, yeah, they're just getting the old tires, plugging them into the roads, and bam, we've got road sunscreen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This is the second clue for the quiz. All right. Uh, who am I? You will find me in Luke's genealogy of Christ, but not Matthew's. 0491-064-669. If you know the answer, give us a call or a text, and you can go into the draw to win the Revive Cafe Vegan Cookbooks, Volume 5 and 6. We are drawing that at 8.45 today, so make sure you are ready for that around that 8.45 time. Um, and you definitely want these books because it's full of tasty incredible vegan recipes such as oh i love this 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 is incredible um naked strawberry jam and a bite-sized chocolate cup if you want to make either of those things zero naked strawberry jam yeah like full-on natural just naked yeah that's right. That's, that's how that's how we do it. Getting back right. to our roots. 0491-064-669. Again, oh, sorry. Just one more time. That clue was you will find me in Luke's genealogy of Christ, but not Matthew's. Okay. Uh, in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And when Jesus stood on the top of Mount of Olives before he left, he told the disciples, begin at Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and take the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. That is our commission as Christians. But my question this morning is this. If you are a Christian, and Mm. maybe if you are a person of a different faith, how often do you tell people about Jesus? When was the last time you told somebody mm. about Jesus? How comfortable are you in telling somebody about Jesus? How many times have you led someone to Jesus and they've given their life to Jesus Christ? Mm. So these are some really valid questions that you know we kind of need to stop and answer for ourselves because this is the calling and the privilege of every person who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, some LifeWay research Entitled, uh, titled uh, Evangelism Explosion Study of American Christians Openness to Talking About Faith uh, surveyed about 1,000 and well exactly 1,011 Christians uh, and has published the results mm-hmm. so 54% of participants said that they were either willing or eager to share Jesus with others mm-hmm. that seems to me to be remarkably low Willing or eager? Okay, so eager is one thing, but like willing? Yeah, anyway. And this is the next one. 52% of Americans said that encouraging someone to change their religious beliefs is offensive and disrespectful. Oh, okay. 66% of Christians are not familiar with any method for telling somebody else about Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah. So think about this for a moment. <laughs> Just think about this for a moment. Think about your church. How well equipped is your church to share Jesus with somebody else? How many people in your church, if you asked who's, who here is confident to lead somebody to Christ, how many people mm. would put up their hands in your church? Now, you go to the Newcastle Uni Church, a lot of young people there, I would expect that you know, probably 90% of them would just put their hands straight up. <laughs> 
I go to a church plant, you get the same kind of dynamic mm. at a church plant. Mm. But if you go to an established church where people have grown up in that church, where they often don't have any friends outside of that church, that is their social network as well as the place where they go to worship, mm. that's a major challenge mm. right there. Yeah, but I think like that can that can only be combated, I think, through two things. Like, Firstly, realizing that it's like... Can't think of a single method of sharing Jesus. Like you have a mouth, bro. Like yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> and, not difficult. And the Bible is a book. Like you can read uh, to share what Jesus has done for you. Yeah, that's not hard. Mm-hmm. But the scary thing about that is that maybe there's a bunch of people in our churches that church for them is cultural rather than an experience, mm. rather than something that's real. Mm. Um. Anyway. Let me see, where are we up to? 68% of respondents believe that it is the responsibility of the pastor to equip the congregation to share the gospel. 69% agree that it is the responsibility of Christians to encourage non-Christians to trust Christ as their saviour. Mm. 70% of Christians have not shared with a stranger how to become a Christian in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, 93% said that they are at least somewhat open to having a conversation about faith with a friend. But only 52% shared a story in the last six months about what God has done in their life with a friend or a family member who was not a Christian. Mm. 57% said, say they have not invited an unchurched friend or family member to attend a church service or some other church program in the last six months. And 62% say they have not shared with a friend or family member how to become a Christian in the past six months. Mm. That's that's so, your bread and butter right there. I know, like, I know. Like inviting I'm just reading someone this and I'm to thinking, church? really seriously, it's not yeah. hard to invite somebody to church or to a church-based program. Yeah, you know, they're not. They might not say yes, but I, I'm starting to think like, do these people? Okay, so so if you have friends, yes, and then your friends ask you questions about your life, and you tell them you're Christian. Like, doesn't that naturally lead to a conversation about church in which you can ask them to come to church? Like, I just, I just know that that's my personal experience. Like, that's, uh, I, I, you know, I guess you could say, like, I do that kind of thing professionally. Like, I get paid to invite people to church and to do Bible studies with people. Yeah. So you and I, we're going to talk to people about Jesus here every morning, um, and then during the day as well. That's, that's just, right. That's just what and, we do. And, but outside of that context, like because there's also been times where I haven't been working in ministry, yet you just have friends and then you say, Oh yeah, like I'm a Christian and, and friends are usually rel- like interested in you and your life and you tell them that you're a quick Christian and you know, they might not be Christian at all, but at least because they're your friend, they're like, oh, okay, cool, good for you. And then it's like, well, hey, I, I go to church on Saturday. Like, we have free food. Do you want to come? Like, how how difficult is that conversation, you know? Not hard at all. Mm. What are you going to lose? That's right. You're not going to lose the friendship. That And that's actually a really good point. If you lose the friendship. It wasn't a friendship to begin that's with. That's right. That's 100%. If someone is personally offended over your attempt to invite, invite them to church, they, they're not your friend. Yeah. So, so stuff them, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of uh, strong language right there. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, one piece of research. We've been wow. covering a lot of research stories in the last couple of days, mm. but the uh, Harvard Centre for American Political Studies and Harris Poll conducted a survey on transgender issues, um, which is something that 
kind of wouldn't happen five years ago. But anyway, um, this was 1,900 registr- registered voters where the children should be able to choose uh, their pronouns, he, she or they, and, or whether they should be addressed by their actual sex. Mm. Only six out of ten respondents, that's 59%, said children should be called by their sex. So mm. 40% thereabouts say that children can just choose whatever. And in my mind, this is the ultimate indulgence. Mm. You know, the ultimate indulgent parents, like you're a child, you get to choose, you do whatever you want. Mm. And part of the problem with this is the Bible says that foolishness lives in the heart of a child. Mm. And that's the way it should be because children should know a lot less than parents and so it's the parent's job to guide the children. But when parents indulge the children, then the children become in charge of the family home. They are not qualified to be in charge of the family home. They know Mm. they are not qualified. They become incredibly insecure. So the more you indulge a child, the more insecure that child becomes because they are not qualified to be making the decisions Mm. that they are making. And this is one of those decisions that they are certainly, certainly not qualified to make. And, you know, I've made this point many times before. You can't, we don't let a 17-year-old buy a rattle can of paint here in Australia. Mm. But we let a five-year-old change their gender. Mm. It just makes no sense at all. Okay, so children should, to the statement that children should be allowed to choose their gender, Democrats, 61% agreed. Uh, The younger age bracket, 18 to 34, was 56%. Urban people, 53%. Uh, parents, uh, people who said that we should call children by their biological sex, uh, 77% of Republicans agreed with that and 64% of independents agreed with that, that teachers should be compelled to use pronouns pronouns that kids say they want to be used under penalty of losing their job, uh, 56% of Democrats agreed with that and in the 18 to 34 age bracket, 54% agreed that teachers should be compelled under penalty of losing their job. Mm. Uh, 27% of uh, respondents think that it should be classified as illegal discrimination for failing to use somewhat-ins selected pronouns. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Lawson, it's time for another clue for our quiz. Another clue from our quiz. Okay, I am the father of Lamech. So you know this person was the the grandfather of Noah and the father of Lamech. And we've we know we can see your your answers are already coming through. You know, good job, guys. Getting ready, People getting going ready for this, for this draw. Zero four eight one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text. And again, our prize this morning, which will be drawn at. 8.45 is the Revive Cafe Cookbooks Volume 5 and 6. I'm, obviously, I'm not allowed to answer, but um, there are a few people from my church who are, who are in the draw. Who are real keen for this cookbook. And they actually they texted me like, hey, I got the answer correct. I'm in the draw. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, like, if they win, the books don't come back to me. Like, it's their books. No. But, you know, that will be a great blessing to our church. And if our they win, church they're, they're, they're kind of close to us. If they win, they're, they're obligated to cook yes. this food for, for, for us. 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 That's, That's right. right. Yeah. 100%. Especially like, if you come like to my in, church. Not like they're in Adelaide or anything. Yeah, that's right. It's just in Newcastle. They're, they're in no Newcastle. excuses. And you know what? If you're in the Newcastle area and you want to eat good food, well, then come to our church on Saturday, Newcastle Uni <laughs> Adventures. See, I wanted to give people an example of, like, 
you know, we're just talking about, hey, like, you know, what, is it, what does it look like to share Jesus and invite people to church? Exactly like that. Hey, I go to church. There's, you know, good food and nice people there. Please come. Absolutely. Well, joining us on the phone this morning to talk about history is historian Eliza Southwell. Eliza, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, but you're making me feel hungry. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Eliza, I understand we've been talking about the church in the wilderness. And we I have. understand that we're going to talk about the church in the United Kingdom this morning. That's right. That's right. So Augustine is generally known as the great missionary to the British, but Christianity actually came to Britain at least 400 years before he arrived. Yes. So Augustine was, however, the first Roman Catholic missionary to the British. Um, today we'll learn about three other pioneering missionaries to the British, Columba, Denuth, and Aiden. Okay, so you've spent a little bit of time in the in the UK, Eliza. Did you ever go to any uh, sites, historical sites of the Celtic Church in uh, in in the UK that predates the Roman Catholic Church? Well, I I went to Canterbury, and Mount Canterbury is the old seat of Augustine, Augustine of Canterbury. Yes. That he was Archbishop there, and so I went around. I went to the cathedral. Um, I didn't go in because you had to pay an exorbitant fee to go in, of course, but beautiful on the outside, looked like looked like a palace. Um, but I also went to uh, some of these other churches in the same town down the road, um, much less visited and in a very different architectural style, very humble church, and um, went around, had a look there. And, yeah, I saw the oldest remain existing church in the UK, um, in the same town. Yes. So, yeah. But ah, the, fantastic stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, tell us, tell us all about the, uh, the, the church that predates the Roman Catholic Church because this, this is the church in the wilderness we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. That's it. So um, Columba was let, – let, let's start with Columba. So Columba went to Scotland. Columba was an Irish prince. So we're talking about – we're talking about the 500s and the 600s because Christianity came to uh, to the the kingdoms of the British Isles um, very early on in the piece. But when the Roman Empire fell, Christianity was fairly sex- successfully eradicated by the Anglo-Saxon invasion. So the Anglo-Saxons came over to England. Uh, the original if, if we're, we're getting ethnic about this, the original English actually today only live in Wales. So the Anglo-Saxons came in, invaded. They were pagans. They very they hounded Christianity out of England. Um, but Columba, um, who was an Irish prince, he was exceptionally well-educated. He chose Scotland to go and be a missionary. And... Why Scotland? Well, Scotland was largely pagan. Columbus' family also had a political foothold there um, because he was an Irish prince and Ireland had had colonized different parts of Scotland. And he also saw the possibility to influence pagan England and Wales from a base in Scotland. Um, So he... He was the first to reestablish that Christian foothold in Great Britain, in, in that larger island of the British Isles. Um, around the same time or coming, coming off the back of Columbus' work, 
was Denise. Now, Denise was, uh, he, he went to Wales. He established a training school in Wales. Um, he was president of, of a Bible training college in Bangor. And being president of the Bible training college is, is not the same as being president of a university today. Being president of, of their university then made the church really defined itself by the teaching of the scriptures. And the thing that the church did was go around and establish these Bible training colleges um, more so than, well, they established churches too, of course, but the Bible training colleges were what gave the church strength mm. and direction. So some of the, some of the doctrines they taught in these Bible training colleges were, well, they notably, they rejected saint worship, they rejected image worship and relic worship, they rejected the mass and celibacy, um, and they rejected papal infallibility. So these Bible training colleges were very happy studying scripture, um, doing, teaching the things that were plain from scripture that God needed them to do. And these are, these are all, you know, doctrinal positions that are pretty much universally held by what we broadly term the church in the wilderness, which existed in just a whole slew of different parts of the, of the medieval world. Right. The Bible wasn't kidding when the New Testament tells us that the gospel went to all the world. We tend to focus on what was happening inside the Roman Empire because we have good documentation about that. But there was plenty happening outside the old Roman Empire that the Catholic Church didn't know about. And, um, and yeah, it's fascinating to see this, even, even in Great Britain, which we think we know so much about the British Isles, but, um, but perhaps there's more, always more to learn. Oh, indeed, absolutely. There's a whole, there's a whole school of history looking at, you know, the Celtic Church and the church that existed, you know, pre-existed the Roman Catholic Church in the UK that is very understudied. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's get to Augustine. Um, so, some of our listeners will know a little bit more about Augustine. He came to, he arrived in 597. Um, he died only seven years later, so he didn't actually spend much time in Britain. But he he arrived in Kent, in um, the area that that he he later, you know, Canterbury is in in Kent. And at that time, England wasn't one united kingdom. England was actually divided into seven kingdoms, and even the name England wasn't 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 a thing at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So he came to the kingdom of Kent, and the reason he came was that the Kentish king had married a French Catholic princess. And so a, a reoccurring theme in this this part of English history and, and the spread of the, the Roman Catholic Church in England is marriages to Catholic princesses which I think is interesting because that's a very common theme throughout the Old Testament as well, that religious change often happens through uh, political changes with intermarriage between different religions. Mm, Baal and, uh, um, sorry, um, J, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, for example. Right. Very notable example. Um, and so Augustine actually orchestrated Roman, more Roman Catholic marriages, for example, between Kent and Northumbria, Northumbria was a Celtic Christian kingdom, and Augustine wanted to change that. So, so he married a Kentish princess off there. 
for example. Um, so Augustine learnt about Denuth in Wales and thought, oh, well, better make sure he's all, he's all kosher. And so he organised a conference with him. And Augustine argued that the churches would have a stronger witness if they worked together. And he, when Denuth didn't entirely agree because their differences were quite significant, he, Augustine, accused Denuth of disunity and divisiveness. So these are arguments that some of our listeners might find familiar. Um, when, when, especially when it comes to um, the push for churches to unite, there's a lot of good that can come out of that. But at the same time, we need to make sure we don't um, compromise on what's really important. And so Janut was in this awkward position where Augustine comes around, he has political backing, and he's putting a lot of pressure on Denuth to, oh, you know, don't be divisive, just come and join me. And of course, what it meant by join me is do what I say. So Denuth wasn't most pleased with that. Um, and he, Augustine called a second conference to try and patch things over and see if they could um, come to an understanding after all. And Augustine was um, got quite upset at this second conference because Denuth was standing on his principles. And Augustine cursed the Welsh church, very dramatic, um, and he predicted destruction and death for the Celtic church, um, much like much like he he set himself up to be a prophet. Um, shortly afterward, however. The king of Northumbria, who had been persuaded by his his new Catholic bride, um, slaughtered twelve hundred Welsh trainee pastors. Um, so we see this. You know, Augustine comes; he's a religious figure, and yet because of his political associations, he has great power over the existing church in Britain. And this is one of the challenges you get whenever you get that union of church and state together. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about England itself, because we've talked a lot about Danuk in Wales, and Columbus spent all of his time, really, in Scotland. But in the, in the kingdoms of England, um, Aidan was, was their great missionary. And so... Although the pagan Anglo-Saxons had driven Christianity out of England, Aidan essentially reconverted almost two-thirds of England to this, this apostolic, biblical, Celtic faith. So essentially the story is Aidan came from Iona. He was trained by Columba. This is a couple of generations after Columba and Denuth. Um, he, he was quite a bit younger than them. But the king of Northumbria, this is a couple of generations after, so the grandson of, of the king who went around slaughtering Welsh pastors, um, the king of Northumbria, who was a lapsed Catholic, was really intrigued by the deeper and more substantial faith of the Scots. And he actually requested an evangelist to come and explain their beliefs. And Aidan was the one sent. So Aidan came to England, came to Northumbria. Northumbria is the northernmost kingdom of England. 
Um, yes, it borders, it borders with Scotland. It borders with Scotland. And so Aidan came down and started teaching, and he set up a Bible training school, and more people started being taught. And um, from there, um, interest the the interest in something more substantial, something deeper, something less superstitious and more reasonable. Um, this this faith was different, and people saw that. And so the the interest in this Celtic Christianity um, tore all over England. It went spread through Mercia, then Essex, then all over the place. Um, Kent and Sussex remained pretty much bastions of Roman Christianity, um, but everywhere else we, you saw this huge revival um, and and um, spread of, of apostolic Christianity, biblical Christianity through England. If only we could see now, a revival of this kind of, you know, because so many in the UK today and, and in modern culture are looking for authenticity if more was known about the Celtic Church and about their historical roots, uh, and you know where they'd actually come from, and and they actually look back to it, you know they would find authenticity in the Christianity of their mm. past. But so many yeah. just assume, oh, Christianity came with Saint Augustine, and that was the end of the story. Right, right. Well, even today, um, churches in England, you know, you go to a church in England, and you'll experience one of two things. Either it'll be a big, lovely, old, grand church with very few people in it, um, or it'll be packed to the rafters. If it's packed to the rafters, it's going to be an African church. African, Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, the, the faith of the indigenous people of England, if you like, is dwindling because there isn't that depth. There isn't depth. Isn't that there? Isn't faith. that authenticity? Right, right. And I think getting back to the Bible, getting back to the roots of Christianity, getting back to what does the Bible actually teach? How is it defensible? Let me understand it so that I can apply it to my life, so that I can know who God is, not just about God. Those those are the essential things of our faith. Mm. Eliza, now, yes, go ahead. We've no. got a little bit of time left, so um, tell oh, us as okay. much as you well, can in the last couple of minutes. I'll try and race through some of this. So obviously Christianity, Celtic Christianity didn't last forever um, in the British Isles. And um, Celtic Christianity really suffered from much more, it wasn't threatened by other religions, um, but the biggest issues for the work of evangelism were political threats. So combinations of church and state, we've talked about a little already. Invasions, we haven't talked about the invasion, the, the Viking invasions of the Danes, or um, the, the big invasion that really stamped out the Celtic church was the Norman invasion. Um, the Normans were from France, they were originally Vikings, um, but there were devout Catholics, and they came over in 1066, and they changed England irrevocably, um, culturally and in terms of religion as well. And so the Pope backed this Norse invasion, uh, the Norman invasion, 
And um, Christianity was, again, pushed out of England into Wales. Wales was, was harried as well, but the Normans couldn't get through to Scotland. Um, and so Celtic Christianity lasted in Scotland a little longer. Mm. Um, but, but again, we see that when politics gets into bed with religion, the cause of God suffers and the cause of human rights often suffers as well. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show. It's been fascinating. I wish we could continue the story of Celtic Christianity uh, up there in Scotland and Wales and so forth, but unfortunately we're right out of time. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.